This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Value Inspiration Podcast. My name is Ton Dobber, and I'm the founder of Value Inspiration. The purpose of my company is to help business software companies rethink what can be to become remarkable again. The goal that I have with this podcast is to inspire new forms of value creation by sharing compelling ideas and stories about the potential that we can unlock when technology and people blend in the right way. So my strong belief is that we can think big, and therefore we should. And doing so will help to create a better world for all of us. This podcast is all about that. The guest on my podcast this week is Sachin Dugal, CEO of Engineer.ai. One of the things that I'm driven by every day is the ability for technology to transform people's lives. You know, we're in a world today where a lot of folks feel somewhat disenfranchised by the technology promise and was something that was meant to help them grow, help them make more money, help them have more time at home. And instead, it's done, in many cases, the opposite. We think that there's a really strong opportunity to transform how software is built. So we're moving from a, you know, a world where software means working with a cottage industry, you know, where everything is slow, it requires on traditional know-how, it's inefficient, it's super risky. And so there's often a trade-off that we see in our customers between the fear of being irrelevant and they come up with an idea and then it's basically the fear of failure. Until they cross the line of fear, they're not really building or, or moving ahead. And really that's the problem we're solving. We're- this is Sachin. Sachin Dev Dugal is an innovator, a serial entrepreneur, and an advocate of enterprise software that touches lives and benefits the world at large. His profile is an unusual mix of experiences and serendipity. Sachin started his public foray very early in life. At the age of 12, he went on stage in front of 1,200 people and the world media to demand something to be done about the state of the environment. He worked for the United Nations and helped write the Declaration of Youth Rights before he completed his first degree from Imperial College. At the age of 15, he co-founded Nivio with the view to disrupt the old compute model. Four years later, Nivio was selected as the technology pioneer at the World Economic Forum in Davos, where at the same time he made history in being the youngest attendee. Sachin is an avid and recent believer of Vipassana and that life is a zero-sum game, so it's essential to spend our time giving. And this is one of the main reasons why he and his partner put aside stock from their major businesses into their foundation that's on the 100 times 50 mission, i.e. educate 100 million kids in 50 years. He's been awarded the MIT TR35 Indian Innovator of the Year, the PricewaterhouseCoopers Leader of Tomorrow, Ernst Young Entrepreneur of the Year finalist, BBC Young Asian Achiever of the Year, and the UNEP Global 500 Youth Award. His aim is to build technology that simplifies the life of everyday users and increases the penetration of information technology to those who do not have it today. And that's what Engineer AI is all about. 
Engineer AI is on a mission to democratize software development. Their promise? Together we bring your ideas to life. Twice as fast, one third of the cost, enterprise grade. And that intrigued me. Hence I invited Sachin to my podcast. We explore the state of the market in which technology is often not delivering on its promise. Beyond that, we address why the traditional approach to start and deliver software projects is broken and how a new fresh approach could transform things for the better, not only for large enterprises, but especially also for small business owners. By listening to this podcast, you will learn three things. Firstly, how traditionally unserved markets can be unlocked by eliminating conventions and traditional barriers, and beyond that, by thinking exponentially. Secondly, that segmenting the market by need rather than by size and segment opens up a whole new way of creating differentiation. And thirdly, that to create momentum, you need to exceed expectations, not meet expectations. So instead of delivering on time, on budget, start delivering ahead of time and ahead of budget. Sachin, thank you for being on the podcast today making the time available in your busy schedule to share the big idea behind your company. But before we start, could you share with the audience what is driving you in the day-to-day business? What is your passion? Well, so firstly, thank you so much for having me join your podcast. And I'm so sorry it's taken us so long. But I'm thrilled, especially given sort of your focus and the target audience. You know, I think one of the things that I'm driven by every day is the ability for technology to transform people's lives. You know, we're in a world today where a lot of folks feel somewhat disenfranchised by the technology promise and was something that was meant to help them grow, help them make more money, help them have more time at home. And instead it's done in many cases the opposite. And we think there's a sort of a unique opportunity in time to make both an impact to them whilst building a scalable sort of business run. And so a lot of what excites me is just seeing the customers sort of every day, every week who suddenly have an idea and now realize that they can build it without having to rely on traditional know-how. Cool. I really like that, uh, well, the, the deeper thinking behind this. And I completely agree with you. I mean, the, I've been in the, the, the software industry for for more than 25 years. And I agree with you that the tech promise has always been bigger than it's actually been delivering. That should change. So what is the big idea behind your company? You founded Engineering Engineer AI. What is the yes. big idea behind it? So the big idea is, you know, we took a thesis view that over the next decade, if not shorter or if not a little bit longer, most companies would become software companies whether they like it or not, or whether they realize it or not. And broadly speaking, the world falls in the four categories. Tech companies, software first, where software is a competitive advantage, software powered, where software is an operational advantage or more specifically a detractor if it's not there, and then digitally to be relevant. You know, the the hundreds of millions of new businesses being started, the small businesses that exist that are trying to figure out how to stay relevant in ever so pure digital economy. But building software is hard. It's the hardest thing you're going to do in your life, potentially even more than your university degree. And we think that there's a really strong opportunity to transform how software is built. So we're moving from a, you know, a world where software means working with a cottage industry, you know, where everything is slow, it requires on traditional know-how, it's inefficient, it's super risky. And so there's often a trade-off that we see in our customers between the fear of being irrelevant 
then they come up with an idea and then it's basically the fear of failure. And it's like the sine wave that they keep oscillating between those two. And until they cross the line of fear, so if you imagine an XY curve, a line of fear and a sine wave underneath it, until they cross the line of fear, they're not really building or, or moving ahead. And really that's the problem we're solving. We're, we're allowing anybody with an idea to now be able to build it, whether they're at the edge at a big company, so digital transformation, innovation at the edge, or whether they're a small business owner or they're an entrepreneur with an idea. And all of them want to be able to sort of grow in their own unique capacity and feel limited by just how software is built today. And so we've created an on-demand bespoke software platform that goes right away from the idea in your head you know, to something that's running in the real world and will support you right the way through your build, run, and scale journey. Wow. <laughs> so how does that work? I mean, on-demand software platform. So, I mean, I'm coming from a business software company. So we have a fantastic idea. We, we connect with you. Then what happens? So, so, so on Builder, what we're doing is we're converting the cottage industry into an industrial process. And so the first thing is everything from defining what you want. So, you know, idea to spec, right the way through to allocation of team, right the way through to delivery. It's a full industrial process. And what happens in an industrial process? Number one, you have a ton of automation, right, for workflow. Number two, you have atomized how software is built so that you've got reusable building blocks. You know, in a car, it could be a steering wheel or a chassis. In our case, it could be Facebook login or a payment gateway. And so that ability for us to rationalize reusable code and design into what we call reusable features that are made up of reusable building blocks means that we're able to save our customers both time, money, and certainty, I'm sorry, and create certainty around sort of quality and delivery. And then we connect those building blocks on this virtual assembly line to developers from around the world that work in 12 time zones. There's about 75 75,000 of them. And they basically put these building blocks together and sort of move them along. Rather than a world where, you know, a few developers worked on a whole project, this is where developers work on building blocks individually and the, the project is broken into smaller pieces. And they don't need to know about the bigger project itself. And these developers are not freelancers or these designers. They work for other dev shops. So we're, we're aggregating human capacity from around the world we're grading that capacity and then we're picking and choosing the right people to use at the right time to be able to build software. And, you know, when things go wrong, you know, someone's not available anymore because these are not our employees or things falling behind schedule. It's like a traffic problem for us. So we, we have sort of a process of rerouting the project to get it to completion. I now get the idea. So how is this smart then? I mean, you're talking, I mean, from, my, from my, my perspective, you're using technologies like AI, et cetera, in order to, to bring things together, to connect those developers with the process. And what are you doing with, with these type of technologies here? So it's across the board, everything from pricing, figuring out how complicated something is, the work back plan, you know, what feature to build in what order, to which resources to use for which feature, to do the reallocation of resources, to make sure that the building blocks are auto-sensing so that they, can, they know what else is in the project and they do sort of direct communication via the bus into those. Right the way through to quality control and you know, a human-assisted project management where the basic data sets, probability of delivery, that month, the weekly report, they're, they're all generated as a result of a machine function, whether that function is intelligent learning or algorithmic. To our end customer, it just means 
it's transparent on time and on budget. And we see some of the proof points, 90% of our projects are delivered ahead of, uh, ahead of budget, which is just unheard of in custom software. Exactly. Well, now I understand also why, I mean, the, I was struck by your, your point about, you know, someone gets an idea and now it needs to be, uh, be, be realized and this is what, it, what helps there. So what do you believe is the opportunity if we get this right? So, you know, when we think about market size, it's a really difficult one because yeah. we're also, you know, so in 2017, half a trillion dollars was spent by bespoke, on bespoke software by SMEs. 78% of it failed, four times the vision fund for all intents and purposes. And we think that the actual market size is close to the seven to ten trillion dollars. And the reason is that if you just think about all the small businesses that are being created every year, a hundred million of them roughly, according to Global Entrepreneurship Monitor, how many businesses are going through some sort of innovation transformation? I think it's about 40 million a year. And even if you assume, you know, 30% of that are going to have to have software, yep. your market size is massive. And the best thing is in that category four of customer, the digitally to be relevant, that's an unserved need. No one's addressing that audience. Everyone, every consulting company is always trying to get the big rocket-sized projects. We're the only one saying we don't want the big rocket-sized projects. In fact, we, we try and avoid them if we can. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I should say they're always welcome, but they're not our preference. No, I think it's, yeah, but the, 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 those rocket-sized or extreme size projects typically are coming from companies that yeah that that are doing this also for a business. And what I really believe in the in the whole digital transformation space is that organizations themselves will get ideas and they want to get that fixed. And it's often in the smaller areas exactly. because it's, it's tuning all the time. This yeah. is really a, really a good example of that. Wow. So so when did you come up with the aha moment for this? What sparked it? Four years ago, when my co-founder and I tried to get a software project built, and we got basically screwed over and we are both we are both engineers so more than sort of a, just the brash damage to our wallet it was also a huge huge attack on our ego and we realized that like if as engineers out of a top school who can write code we don't you know we get taken for a ride is there's a lot less hope for folks where software and sort of understanding code is not their natural pathway so you're actually you're sort of creating a self-driving development machine correct yeah, I mean, to a certain extent, it's a human-assisted yeah. development machine. And, and I never think you're going to remove humans out of the equation. If for nothing else, people want to speak to people when they're building, you know, $10,000, $50,000, $100,000 yeah. projects. And they, it gives them a sense of comfort. And if True. you go back to that graph, you know, what we're trying to create is escape velocity. Escape velocity is, you know, both a quantum and a vector. The quantum is emotion and the vector is trust. And, and humans are a key part of building trust. Agree, agree. So, I mean, talking about the augmentation element in there, what you typically have done is taking the, taking away the the things that are repetitive, that where machine can make far more far more progress, far more speed, be far more reliable. So, do you believe that the combination of the technology in your platform plus the humans uh, create this one plus one equals three type of uh, metaphor? I think more than that, right? So, I just give you an example. So, in a typical dev shop. A project manager can manage two projects. So we're yep. already at 12. Wow. So it's like one plus one equals 12. And we see a clear path to that becoming 20 or 25 or even 30 in some cases. And I think it's the fact that whether it's wastage, automation, scale, there are some things that machines, when they're having to ingest a lot of data to make decisions, will do well. 
when it comes to creativity, serendipity, problem solving, that's when we use our human teams. Trust, human conversation, those things. And actually, another part of it is, if you think about a typical consulting process, it takes 11, you know, I think 10 to 12 weeks to go from idea to spec to team. We can bring that down to two days or a day. Or really? <laughs> and the reason is because all the things that needed to be automated need to be automated. And so in that situation, it's a, you know, it's a, it's a 89, uh, well, no, no, not 89, I say 84 to 90x improvement on the existing process. Impressive. And exactly, I mean, you're starting in, a, in an era where this is becoming more and more important. I mean, yes. uh, up to now, there were, always, there were waves of technology and waves of technology change, but they're all coming in like one by one. And I think there's now like a number of waves colliding, waves colliding that make things happen we've never been able to do before. And yeah, that's, yeah, where, yeah, that's where competitive advantage starts to play. And that's where what you already highlighted the argument of, be, of staying relevant. That's incredibly important here. Yeah, and more than we ever, I guess, more than we even realized, to be honest. Yeah, that's true. So, so what exactly in your platform did you do that, that allows you to deliver such remarkable results? I mean, you, you named, named I think really... it's, it's, it's a really, in, I would say that we, we analyze the customer journey as a customer. We then realize what are the different bottlenecks at different points of scale. What would be the right technology to fix those? How would that technology change over time? You know, do you go from basic algorithmic, so heuristic, to expert, to learning? And then you know, bring on the right set of people at the right time to help build those. I think it's just a really pragmatic approach to building rather than trying to boil the ocean at one shot. Sure. And you can keep improving and improving and improving once again the number of customers are, are loading up. Exactly. Wow. So were there any things in your journey that, that, worked, that didn't work out the way you wanted? That you, were there any kind of challenging moments? I think we've had a couple. I'd say one, you know, the first thesis that we had for how Builder would work, and that's sort of the top of the funnel product, was that people would want teams and not product. We realized very fast that that was not the case. Another was that, you know, we, wanted, we weren't sure when we do a funding round because we were already growing quite at a quite a strong clip and we were profitable and, and cash flow positive. And, you know, it took us a number of times to get it right in terms of repositioning ourselves to show how we were going to move to hyper growth and why funding was essential. And I think the third has been just, I guess, with every, as with every company, hiring and maintaining culture has been hard. And I think we're getting better at it, but we've made a bunch of bad decisions and we have to deal with the consequences of those. Yeah. But what triggered me here is the repositioning part. What, what was the moment that you decided to reposition yourself and how did you reposition yourself? So I don't think it's a matter of repositioning. I think it's just a matter of realizing that, you know, one of the things that we had done prior was that we're going to wait to raise capital until we're further on the way uh-huh. and then realizing we'd reached that point. But then also saying, well, what's the right sort of growth vector and growth strength that we want to be focusing on? And I think once we squared that away, everything became easier. Gotcha. Were there any surprising byproducts coming from, from the journey? Of course, you were hyper-focused on, on delivering on the vision, but were any, was anything coming out where you say, hey, wait a minute, this is also an interesting angle that, that is delivering value we didn't expect? I think one of them was the sector-specific approach. That was really powerful because we had folks where we didn't have to build on software, but instead they were looking at a business solution. And we could use, you know, in sector four category or category four customers, they don't compete because of software. Like one winery 
you're not going to sell more wine because the other winery has a better app. But yeah. if you don't have a good enough one, people won't know about you or you'll be able to extend your growth. True. And so in those cases, they buy as a peer group. And so you can sell to one and sell to many. And you can sell a pretty similar solution. So I think that was a key learning. Second is the number of people that ask us that would we be interested in also investing. And we sort of take an active position to say no. But it's also, you know, the biggest thing with most of these companies is a technology risk. And if you can take away with that, I think one of the things that we're quite eager to do over time is do partnerships with, with VCs and investors to see if there's a way to create sort of a capital allocation to people that have ideas where at least the technology risk is taken out and the product risk is taken out. Yeah, that's true. So yeah, who is your typical audience? And I mean, where do you get your, your momentum? I think a lot of the momentum is inbound in our sales team. The audience is what I covered in the pyramid. We're focusing heavily on, on, the, on the twos and threes. We've got a couple of the ones. And over time, we'll get more of the fours. And What do you mean with that? So category one is a tech company. Category two is software first. Category three is software power. Category four is digital distribution relevance. That pyramid is a sort of a guiding beacon for everything we do in the company. You know? Okay. And, and everything we do refers to, you know, category one, two, three, or four. Because I think that the, the, that, that sort of visualization of the customer becomes really powerful. Yeah, true. Yeah, it's always customer first and yeah. kind of understanding what is the outcome the customer expects. One thing that triggered me was that you said you had a misconception in the, in the beginning whereby you thought your customer wanted to have teams where they actually yeah. wanted to have products. That's, yeah, that's so instead, of, instead of like, they didn't want to hire developers, they just wanted their idea built. And I think that was a sort of a big crescendo moment for us. Exactly. It's the idea that, that, that counts and then how you get there, that's yeah. just, just organizing it. Exactly. So it's, that's, a, that's a typical mistake that's being made. You know, you think that people are after X where they're, they're actually looking at you know, the result of it. That's a, that's a far more important thing because the, their idea in this case is gold to them. So, I mean... Since you've, you've, four years ago, you've, you started, you got to market. When you started selling this, what was kind of the big lesson learned there? Was it immediately a like, aha moment for customers as well and immediately something that they bought into? So I think there's a couple of things. I think we learned that retail works really well. I think we learned from a retailish type experience. So trade shows were great. I think over time, we've re realized that really what we're trying to deliver in the beginning to get someone excited is emotional, emotional energy and trust, so escape velocity. And so repositioning everything to like, how do we create escape velocity for someone has become sort of a key part of our product process. And you know, that, that learning over time has made, made sure that the customer-facing part, part of the product and the overall experience has become simpler, richer, and easier to manage. And I think they're critical. Yeah, it's funny that you're saying that a big part of the learning curve was to kind of start introducing emotional energy and trust. You're one of the few that is actually realizing how powerful this really is. It's something that I'm, yeah, I'm almost like, like a broken record on this one. <laughs> Glad you figured it out and, and exp yeah, figured out also how powerful well, I also think is. that you know, most of our SMB or SME inside a big company, they're humans in the end, right? And they're making a consumer sure. decision. Exactly. It's also a neocortex decision, not a cerebral decision. I think that's really important. Absolutely. Absolutely. So what do you believe are the, are the secrets of, of doing the, the remarkable thing that you're doing today? Is there one thing that you say, I mean, that's... You have to be relentless and you have to be customer first. I think that's it. I think I see the, the most governing thing that we have is we start everything with a why. Why are we doing this? And I think once we all agree what the why is, then the solution usually matches up with that. 
if we're not agreeing with the why, then we're just going around and catching our own tail. Very good. Don't have to learn anything. To, uh, well, I don't have to learn you anything anymore. <laughs> so it's, is there anything you would do different next time, if there's a next time? Well, you know, maybe we'd start raising capital sooner. Okay. Maybe we would have hired a few more senior folks sooner. But, you know, I mean, we've made a bunch of mistakes, so maybe we wouldn't do some of those mistakes. But I think, you know, we've also really enjoyed the benefit of taking our time because it's, it's just got us to a much deeper appreciation. And that's a good lead indicator, right, as a, as a company, that we understand audience and customer, which is much better than a lag indicator where you're, you know, forever chasing and then trying to find the next pocket of revenue. True. Yeah, exactly. So talking about, the, you, you know, you mentioned the number of refills earlier on. I mean, what is the, is there an anecdote that you're extremely proud of, of what you've achieved so far? Look, I, I think we've been able to help everyone from the little girl who wants to go Pinterest from butterflies to the producer at the BBC, the BBC Click. And I think that's probably the strongest anecdote because it goes back to our customer and, and how we allowed them to create value in, 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 their, in their day-to-day life. You know, growth in order is great. You know, it's phenomenal. It's been double and sort of touching triple-digit growth. And it's been great that we've been able to get as far as we were bootstrapped and without some capital. And it's also great that we've been able to raise so much money in such a short period of time to grow faster. Yeah, I agree with that. But it's and you're giving a couple of interesting points here. So from all the lessons that you've learned so far, if you if you would, I mean, if the other side of the um, well, the listeners are CEOs of uh, business software companies, people that might admire to to start their own software company at some point in time, what would you advise them to do? Like, if there's is there one thing where you say do this, do that? Start with the why. Define your why. Define your why. Why are you going to go? And why why is it that your customers are going to come to you? Why is it that this approach is the right? I think getting your why sorted is critical. And then your how. If you do the why and the how, then everything else becomes easy. Yeah. A lot of people, though, start with the what and then go backwards. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Simon nailed it. Yeah, exactly. That's, I mean, I got his books here. Almost on my table. So yeah, I, I follow that. And it works. And I mean, I've seen it work not only in product development, but in so many other things. So that's, that's wise advice. So what is next for you? What is your greatest aspiration here? We, we want to grow as fast as possible to be a $10 billion company, which we think is you know, maybe five years. A $10 billion company? Yeah. I think billion is very last, last decade. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, that's pretty ambitious. But I think you... Well, what I've heard so far, you got a lot of things very, very right. And I think the market behind you is enormous. So, yeah, why not? And you need to think big. Exactly. exactly. So if, there's any, if there's anyone on the podcast that could help you, what would you ask them? You know, I think we're always looking for help, whether it's from an intelligence systems background, whether it's, you know, pockets of customers, whether you'd be interested to be a partner, whether you're a dev shop and you want to plug into our network, you know, where... You know, we really pride ourselves on being a multi-stakeholder company and we connect with so many different types of counterparties that work with us. And we find a way to make it lucrative for everyone because we win if the whole thing wins. Yeah, true. The win-win part again. Exactly. Yeah, well, I mean, let's see what comes out of this. So, so where can people go to find out more about your company and say hi to you? Engineer.ai is the company. So just engineer.ai and they can catch me on Twitter. So at Sachin Google. Uh, make sure that's loud and clear in the podcast. Well, thank you very thank much, you. Sachin. It was uh, so inspiring talking to you and great lessons learned here. Thank you so much, sir. Take care. Absolutely. I'll certainly do. And for everybody listening today, 
Thank you for tuning in. I had the honor to speak to Sachin Dugal, co-founder and CEO of engineering.ai. The goal of this podcast is to share compelling ideas and showcases to inspire what can be when technology and people blend in the right way. It's my strong belief that too much focus is put on automating people out of a process, in other words, cutting costs, rather than scenarios where the unique strength of people are augmented with technology to change the established rules and to deliver a value that was unimaginable before. So with this podcast, I want to make a contribution to change this, to create a broader awareness of what can be, to accelerate the adoption by bringing together you, a tribe of like-minded people and organizations, And lastly, to accelerate the initiatives and solutions that could be created because one idea inspires the other. So if you know about stories that are worth sharing, please send me a message. Building the momentum all starts with revealing the ideas and that starts with you. If you want to have more information, read my blogs or obtain information on working with me, just visit me on my website, valueinspiration.com. Thank you for tuning in. And you could do me a big favor by rating the podcast or provide me with your feedback. I'll see you shortly in a new episode. The world's best-known investor and Wall Street expert, Warren Buffett, once said, Wall Street is the only place that people ride to in a Rolls Royce to get advice from those who take the subway. Mr. Buffett's quote is remarkably accurate, but how many people would rather receive advice from him than someone simply guessing? Welcome to Buy, Hold, Sell, your single source for Wall Street knowledge and profitable guidance. Please join me, Todd Schoenberger, and fellow trader Tobin Smith, as well as host Veronica Dudo, for a podcast known to move the needle for investors. Tobin and I are seasoned Wall Street executives with deep investment experience, and we are prepared to share our advice to those who choose to listen. Download Buy, Hold, Sell today on the Evergreen Podcast Network or your favorite podcast channel.